This week on Crossing the Lane Lines. So one of the things that we noticed, Najee, was that after the kids would leave our classes, or even when they would show up, they'd be half hungry or, you know, even afterwards, oh, I need something to eat. And so we started providing these meals and then started opening up to lean on partners to provide these meals. The next thing we know, we're serving whole projects. You know, in Austin, Texas, we've adopted at least one or two project homes that we can go to and they know tank proof when they see the green shirts and the green gloves and we come out there and we have our meals they know what it is but these are the same kids that we're serving and teaching how to swim this is important because that builds long-term relationships it builds long-term trust with the communities and allows us to be able to serve them in a more consistent and effective manner When one thinks of reasons why black children don't swim, people say that they can't afford lessons. And this is true somewhat. But a more practical reason involves another critical life skill. Food. After all, if one is dealing with food scarcity, swimming probably won't be a top priority. Further, most swim programs that target underserved communities never look at this important need. Today, we'll be joined by the founders of Tank Proof, Thurman and Torrance Thomas, to discuss their mission of teaching black kids not only how to swim, but also about food insecurity and the need to make this a vital component in decreasing the drowning rates in the black community. All that and more coming up. Stay tuned. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali, and you're listening to Crossing the Lane Lines. As some of you know, I've worked in social services for nearly 20 years, serving food and other essential services to the unhoused and marginalized here in San Francisco. Further, I'm proud of the work that I have done with black and brown communities in offering swim lessons for free, or whatever they can afford. I'd like to think that I'm unique in all this, and that my little and I do mean little part, is making a difference. But my guests today have taken what I thought was my idea to a whole other level. Tank Proof is a nonprofit that gives youth in underserved communities education and essentials to navigate life's currents, from providing quality swim instruction to feeding hundreds in their neighborhood food routes. They have had the opportunity to impact multiple cities and will continue to expand to others. Their goal is to provide access and equity and opportunity through swimming lessons to make communities safer and even save lives. We are honored to have the co-founders of Tank Proof, twin brothers, Thurman and Torrance Thomas. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Hey, thank you so much for having us, Najee. Thank you so much, Najee. It's an honor to have you both on the show. Torrance, let's begin with you. When did you first learn to swim and what was the impetus to do so? Um, well, I first learned to swim when I was around 10 years old and it, it, it was really the catalyst that got us into the water was really the near drowning incident that my brother almost had maybe a few weeks before. And it was, you know, during the summertime, you know, kids are, you know, doing their thing like usual. And, you know, luckily for him, someone got in and was able to rescue him. But immediately after that, you know, fortunately, our mom was like, well, look, you know, no matter what we got to do, we're going to figure this out, but we got to make sure you're all safe. So, Immediately after that, we started taking swimming lessons. I'm just curious, what motivated you 
to found this amazing organization. What was what was the inspiration for doing so? So Tank Roof was really a it was I call it like a spark idea, and it's one of those things that um, for those that are familiar with our background and know a little bit about us, you know they know that you know we're creatives and artists by trade. And ten years ago, that was our still lane of you know occupation and work. We got inspired by a Live 8 concert from back in the day. It was like this big production they used to put on that the proceeds from that huge concert would benefit some cause, and this year it was benefiting AIDS in Africa. And uh, we saw this concept, that, and it really kind of got our minds brewing in the direction of what can we do for our own area, our own space, our own city? Can, is there something that we can do to utilize our own giftings to provide value to the people that are around us? Because for us as artists, you know, we would look around and see artists much larger than, than we were at the time. And just seeing the things that they weren't doing was kind of disheartening. So we just kind of decided to take matters into our own hands. Like, hey, what can we do? What can we do with the gifts and talents that we have to make our community better? And so literally we both kind of thought on it, gave it some time, some quiet time. And, you know, lo and behold, the idea of swimming lessons just popped up and, because it was so random, it was so foreign. I mean, honestly, Najee, at the time, neither of us was, was Michael Phelps. Still ain't Michael Phelps. But, I mean, we, we maybe got in the water, you know, once or twice a year at a pool party or something. I mean, it, our attitude was to the point enough where we could save our own lives, but not to the point where we were teaching people how to swim. So when this idea came, it was like, wow, okay. So then we did some research and found out that the stereotypes we had been hearing our whole lives had some factual truth to it. And, then we started to dive into the reasons why, those reasons go all the way back to slavery. And then, you know, through our, our, our conversations and things like that, and we that was the beginning of us educating ourselves about the rich history that black people and Africans have with the water. And so we see this amazing history. We see the current status of things. We see why things are like that. And then we look at each other and be like, all right, what are we going to do about it? So... Um, from that point, we're like, okay, well, what can we do? How can we make this happen? We want to get kids swimming lessons. What do we do? So we went, you know, to the – we like to use this, use what's in the house. So we use what's in the house. As artists, I mean, we know how to sell merch. We know how to push things onto our friends. We know how to get people excited about things. So we said, okay, we're going to design some specific merch, these tank tops, and then go towards, go towards helping get some kids, some black kids, education, right? swimming education to help make them drown proof. We don't use the word drown proof now, but we just used it back then. So we needed a name for this initiative. Didn't you have a name? We're writing on a whiteboard, literally brainstorming, trying to figure out a name for this. And tank tops, drown proof, boom, tank proof came up. We put those two words together. It sounded weird. It sounded memorable, and that's what we wrote. So the first year we had a goal of selling enough tank tops to get 10 kids swimming lessons. We ended up blowing that out of the water. We sold enough to get 60 kids swimming lessons. And so the next year came around, you know, we really weren't doing it again. We were just satisfied from the success of the first year. Like, wow, we did something. It felt good. And some of our friends asked hey, y'all going to do that again? So we're like, oh, okay, sure, why not? So we did another uh, tank top design and uh, ended up doubling it from the year before, from 60 to 120. And we're like, wow, this is awesome. Next year, third year came around. We're like, hey, let's do it again. Did another tank top design. And then we were 60, 120. Then we went to 225 the third year. And so we're like, wow, it just keeps on exponentially growing. And then fourth year, it got to the point where we were kind of making some buzz around our hometown of like Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and people wanted to donate to this directly, and they wanted their, their write-off. So they're like, hey, maybe you guys should look into being a 501c3. 
And we're like, uh, we really didn't start this trying to start a whole business, you know what I mean? Because a nonprofit is a business, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, after giving it some thought, we were like, all right, sure, let's do it. Why not? Let's just see what happens. So we just did it, and at the time, it was really kind of fairly easy to do. We were able to get our, our 501c3 status, and we've been off to the races ever since, brother. I'm wondering if y'all can take us through how you go about teaching your kids to swim. What's what's the process in all this? Um, usually how we do it, it all starts with relationships. And for us, um, the main thing that we do is, and we actually tell our instructors that we work with that, you know, that share the heart and passion of our organization, we tell them that, look, this is the most crucial phase because you have a stranger that has to trust you with their life. So they got to get to know you and they got to get to know you quick. So we've helped build relationships super quickly. And secondly, uh, from there, we, we start with the basics. Can you put your face in the water? And a lot of this first couple, you know, part A, part B, part C of step one has to do with basic comfortability. Can we get you comfortable? What is your comfort level? And from there, we either increase that comfort or we then move on to to some of the basics, you know, from from after that. And so from there, we, we start simple body technique, floating, utilizing our different, you know, parts of our body, like our arms, and how do we use our arms specifically, and we use our legs. How do we use our legs? How do we use our feet? Um, we then go into floating, but then, you know, teach our kids to use the freestyle technique, but then floating on their back as well when they get tied to, you know, for basic survival methods. And really floating is the basis of everything, too. If you don't know how to float, you can't do nothing. So we spend a lot of time making sure our kids are comfortable with floating. And then from there, you know, the goal is to teach them all the techniques and so, so the last day that they're able to jump into the water over their head and come to the surface, swim back to the edge, and get themselves out. And um, that is the main goal of our lessons, just to make sure that our kids understand how to be safe around the water, number one. And then number two, if they ever get themselves in an adverse situation, they know the skills to get themselves out of it. Now, there are a number of nonprofits that offer swim lessons and do good work. But after the lessons end, their involvement with the students tends to end as well. Can you talk about addressing the other needs that Tank Proof looks at besides swimming? And I'm talking about the food insecurity, education, these sorts of things. Oh, yeah. So one of the things that we noticed, Najee, was that after the kids would leave our classes, or even when they would show up, they'd be half hungry or, you know, even afterwards, oh, I need something to eat. And so we started providing these meals and then started opening up to lean on partners to provide these meals. The next thing we know, we're serving whole projects. You know, in Austin, Texas, we've adopted at least one or two project homes that we can go to, and they know tank proof. When they see the green shirts and the green gloves and we come out there and we have our meals, they know what it is. But these are the same kids that we're serving and teaching how to swim. This is important because that builds long-term relationships, it builds long-term trust with the communities, and allows us to be able to serve them in a more consistent and effective manner. Many folks have heard the stats concerning drowning rates among Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities. For instance, in Indigenous communities, the drowning rate is twice that of whites. And in the Black community, it's five times higher. Causes for these unintentional deaths are often centered around lack of access, parents never learn, fear of the water, 
income inequality and the like. But one thing that I've heard over and over and that I bought into when I was a boy was that black folk don't swim. Now, based on how this is viewed as a sport first rather than a life skill, this phrase seems to make sense. I mean, it's now 2021, and at the Tokyo Games, we had only two black swimmers, Simone Manuel and Natalie Hines, both earning bronze in the women's 4 by 100 meter of three-style relay. Now, being in a majority, or at least being seen in other spaces that aren't the Olympics, is a vital step in getting more black and brown folk into the water. How important is it for those who participate in a tank-proof swim event to see coaches and others that look like them on the deck and in the pool? And this, so there's a, we're talking about stats. There's another crazy stat that 70%, 73% of parents say that if, if kids saw someone who looked like them participating like in the sport of swimming, if they saw that representation, they'll be 73% more likely. There'll be 73% parents say that their kids would be more likely to partake in the sport if they saw representation, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, 70%, 6% is the number. So um, it, it's uh Representation is everything, man. Like, it honestly, and even just speaking from myself personally, um, not seeing someone that looks like me doing something makes me subconsciously feel like it's not for me. It makes me feel like that space is not for me. And we, you know, we we talk about the history. The the it's not ancient history. It ain't that long ago. This stuff is still in our bones. It's still in our genes. It's still running within our veins. This rich history of amazing, not just good, not just, you know, regular, but amazing aquatic attitude. Um, And we're overdue for representation. It starts at this level. It starts at the grassroots level. The future of swimming is going to look like you and me. One issue that has arisen in the swimming world is the controversy over swim caps. FINA, the International Governing Body of Swimming, banned the use of larger swim caps for competitors, in this case, Soul Cap, a company based in the UK that makes caps designed specifically to protect dreadlocks, weaves, hair extensions, braids, and thick and curly hair. FINA rejected the application from the British makers for use in the Tokyo Games, citing no previous instance in which swimmers needed, quote, caps of, so- of such size and configuration, close quote. Now, there's been strong pushback from a lot of quarters concerning this, and FINA has stated that it that they will review their policy. But in a sense, the damage has already been done. I'm wondering if you all can speak to how this is impacting communities of color and the chances that folks would take up swimming if there aren't caps to fit their crowns. It, it goes right along with the lines of representation. If I can't even have, you know, to me, the way you, that your hair and the way that you are is is sacred. There's nothing that you can do about that, and it's something that, you know, you can't really choose the way the texture of your hair, and so you should embrace it. And this ruling by FINA completely does the opposite, and it puts kids that are in this actually wide range demographics and really a range, really the, the African-American community demographic that they are actively looking to get more people of color into the water. So to me, it's a no-brainer that, you know, if it shows that it doesn't make anyone faster, it shows that it doesn't give anyone any unfair competitive advantage, why wouldn't you allow someone to have this 
type of equipment. That's what happens. Equipment and technology evolves with sports. They don't wear the same cleats for football or soccer that they used to do back in 1954. Things evolve and things change. And so to me, this is just another way that the sport can evolve and, and, and it evolves to include more people. And it's something as simple as people that have, you know, longer hair. It's not it's not a big issue as well. The funny thing about it is, like, there's there's so many people that won't get a chance to access and won't have a desire to access water because of the simple thing. They, they don't know what to do with their hair. And, you know, as an organization that teaches young girls, young black girls, it's an issue that comes up a lot. What do I do with my hair? Well, if we have these these amazing soul caps, then we can allow our young women to have something that they can use to protect their hair and to keep it looking as great as possible. And that makes them more confident young women as well. Tankproof has had numerous stories of success with folks learning how to swim. But one story sticks out in particular to me. And that is about a boy named Joseph, who I happen to see on a YouTube video on the Kelly Clarkson show that you two were both on. And you spoke about his amazing heroism. Can you walk us through what he was able to do as a result of learning to swim via tank proof? So, and, and this is just a disclaimer. One of the things that we do and what we tell Joseph and all of our kids, if you haven't done the, the, uh, the official training, you should not be trying to save anyone in the water. Um, but it's one of those things that I can't reprimand and scold the young man because he pulled it off. He did it effectively. It was risky, yes, but he did it. And so one of the things that I will say is that our curriculum is strong. Our, our teachers and instructors are amazing. Not only are they great swimmers as well, but more importantly, they share the passion and know the importance of the work that they're doing. All of this translates into making our kids not just learn, but learn amazingly. And, um, you know, there's a lot of swim schools in the country, and, you know, but I do know that, you know, I don't know of any of them that have been going on for over a decade giving zero-cost swimming lessons and then expanding it to other cities. So I, I know that our method is effective. It works the same way to the, 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 the poorest Paris in Louisiana, to San Francisco, one of the highest, and you know, places to live. You know what I mean? If, if it works there, it can work anywhere. So we know that um, – this system does work. Again, like we're proud of Joseph and what he's done because, again, he's, he's done something that's able to save another statistic from happening. Finally, if folks want to get involved, whether it be having their kids learn to swim, teach swim lessons, or helping out uh, distributing food, where can they go to find out more? Oh, my gosh, man, because, yeah, that's what people don't realize, too. It's like we, we have great photos and great videos. Our content looks great. And most of the time, people associate that with, oh, well, they're good. They don't need no help. No, we just, you know, happen to have a background in doing content. That's our strength. But, you know, we're in a place now that we are seeking partners and people that are looking to help us to expand these services to the communities that need it most. So if they want to get in touch with us, follow us on Instagram, at TankProof, or visit our website, www.tankproof.org. And we're going to have to leave it there. Our guests today have been Thurman and Torrance Thomas, co-founders of Tankproof, a nonprofit that gives youth and underserved communities education and essentials to navigate life's currents. From providing quality swim instruction to feeding hundreds in their neighborhood food routes, they have had the opportunity to impact multiple cities and will continue to expand to others.
Their goal is to provide access, equity, and opportunity through swimming lessons to make communities safer and even save lives. Tankproof has served over 2,350 individuals nationwide with multiple sites in Louisiana, as well as in Austin and San Francisco. In addition, they've been featured nationally on the CBS Evening News, NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt, MSNBC, Esquire Magazine, and Southern Living Magazine. Thurman and Torrance Thomas, we wish you all health and safety during these challenging times in our country, and thank you so much for joining us today on Crossing the Lane Lines. Thank you so much, Najee. Thank you to everyone that's listening out there. We really appreciate you guys. Thank you guys so much. On October 11th, 1896, the crew on board the E.S. Newman, a 393-ton schooner, knew they were in trouble off the Outer Banks of Pea Island, North Carolina. Though there had been many storms in this section of the country during the month of October, many local fishermen stated that this storm was the worst any could remember in memory. Captain Sylvester Gardner, the owner of the Newman, and a sailor all of his life, did all he could to run the ship aground. If the Newman did not run aground, she would run with the currents and drift with the shifting tides, pounding against unseen shoals and glancing off sidebars. If this happened, there would be no way to light a distress flare. She would spin, topple, and be reduced to kindling wood in a short time. Fortunately for Gardner, his family and crew, the ship ran aground. But now a new danger loomed. If no one was able to see the signal flare that they successfully fired, the seas would tear the vessel apart and all would be lost to a watery grave. In the midst of all the driving rain, wind, and surf, the signal was seen. Theodore Minkins, a crew member of Station 17 of the Pea Island Lifesavers, the precursor of the U.S. Coast Guard, saw the signal and alerted his captain, Richard Etheridge. Etheridge, along with Minkins and his five other crewmen, dragged a large dory through driving rain with a pair of mules and the men tugging the huge boat along windy and muddy shores to reach the shipwrecked crew of the Newman. As hours passed, the storm began to look more like a hurricane. When Gardner saw the crew on the beach, he and his crew let out a cry of joy. Finally, help had arrived. But his joy quickly turned to shock when his wife noticed the movement on the beach between the ship and the shore. Two figures were pushing out into the surf. She pointed in that direction, and Gardner gasped. Two men began to enter the impact zone. Gardner thought, attempting to swim out in this, that's suicide. Men, we must try to swim out to the schooner, Richard Etheridge called out with a booming voice. The men looked on at him. Etheridge wasn't giving an order. He was asking for two volunteers. Meekins and Stanley Wise, otherwise known as the Preacher, volunteered to swim out into the raging sea. 
For the next 40 minutes or so, Minkins and Wise both waited and swam to reach the Newman. A rope, which was tied around both men's waist, cut like a knife at times as both rescuers pressed on. At times, one sank below the water, but neither ever gave up and neither gave in. When the men finally arrived at the disintegrating hulk of the ship, their tunics tangled and life belts all but torn from their torsos, the cheering on board ceased. Gardner focused on the faces of the two saviors that had come to rescue his crew. These brave souls that swam through an unforgiving storm were black. In fact, the entire crew of Station 17 was black. Little was known outside of maritime circles of the Station 17 Pea Island Lifesavers, and still less about this heroic act. But if ever there was any doubt that black people couldn't swim, it would be the telling of this story that occurred 125 years ago this week. You've been listening to Crossing the Lane Lines, which is produced by the Black Swim Collective at our studios in San Francisco, California. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you receive your podcast. From all of us here, we thank you so much for your support. And remember, no lives matter until Black Lives Matter. In San Francisco, this is Najee Ali for Crossing the Lane Lines, signing off.